listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. Podcasts about living with more joy, grace, and zip. Being more in your true, authentic self, having more energy, and feeling good physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We also strive to be entertaining as well as educational. We'll be interviewing experts in the field of health and well being sharing with you our knowledge and experience to help you eat better, feel better, do better, and have a more positive outlook on life. Sounded good to be true? Maybe possible? Well then, you're in the right place. Hey everybody, Janine here. Welcome to my podcast. Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. You are listening to Episode 4, and today I have the privilege of chatting with Krista Poulton, medical herbalist. We've got lots of exciting, fun information for you, so let's just get right into the show. Okay, today I'm chatting with Krista Poulton. She's a gifted medical herbalist, and she focuses on reproductive health. Krista has a private practice in Victoria, British Columbia. She's a faculty member at Pacific Rim College. She teaches courses in herbal medicine and medicine making, along with supervising clinical training. Her mission? To teach women to love and adore their bodies. Sounds pretty good to me. Passionate about medicine making, Krista has a full herbal dispensary. Education, medicine-making, and herb-growing, along with women's health, are her strong passions. Krista is a member of the Canadian Herbalists Association of British Columbia. Thank you for joining me today, Krista. You sound like a very busy lady. (laughs) Let's start with what led to your becoming an herbalist, and we'll just kind of see where the conversation goes. All right. Well, it's great to be on the podcast, and I'm excited to chat with you about herbal medicine and where... My journey has started. Um, I would say my journey—it's—it's it's kind of a multi-phase journey. I would say I started getting interested in herbal medicine when I lived in Quebec. <clears throat> I had met a herbalist um, there who showed me some herbs on a forest walk, and I was so fascinated um, at that time with herbal medicine, with primitive skills. Uh, building and being more hands-on with the earth. And at, during that time, I was living in the forest, and I started to collect herbal medicine and started to treat minor um, ailments, like cuts and scrapes with my friends, um, minor burns. And it was just a passion that really grew. Um, very different from what I was doing before. I was a kinesiologist before, and I was working with children with autism. Um, but I found that there was a connection there between kinesiology and working with uh, children with developmental disabilities and the work I do now with reproductive health. So it's been a really uh, nice kind of connection between the two different careers I've had before. Mm-hmm. So before I was a herbalist and before I was a kinesiologist, I was an artist and I was always interested in harvesting and collecting things. I have a farm in my family and my art was very much a land-based art. I would do uh mosaic pictures with berries and twigs and different types of grain. My father is a farmer, so had lots of different access to grain. Um, And so there'd be wheat, there'd be barley, canola, um, and 
with different branches. And so I'd always be out with my harvesting basket, collecting different colors from nature. So little did I know I was collecting herbs that also had medicinal value. So while I was using them for my art during the time, later on, I started to harvest them for the medicine. And that's really where the transition from harvesting for art to harvesting to medicine to making the medicine um, really kind of inspired my practice of herbal medicine and decided to pursue this as a career. Awesome. I can see the thread. That's neat. So Mm -hmm. uh, what training have you had? Well, before I did my three-year diploma program at Pacific Rim College, I did a four-year Bachelor of Kinesiology. At that time, I was more leaning on becoming a physiotherapist, um, but I knew that I wanted to work more with the earth, and um, I thought for a while to do naturopathic medicine, but I found the college in Victoria, BC, and they focused just on herbal medicine, which is what I did want to focus on. So I've completed the three-year Diploma of Phytotherapy program, which is the most recognized program in Canada in terms of phytotherapy, which means plant uh, therapy, herbal medicine. You beat Um, me to it. I was going to ask you that. (laughs) (laughs) I know most people don't know what phytotherapy is. It's a a term that's used a lot more in the UK. Um, And so we continued on with using phytotherapy in, at least in the college at Pacific Rim College, as the instructor who started the dean of the program um, started the college, he trained in the UK. So we have brought over a few UK instructors as well. So phytotherapy and the language has really crossed over into Canada. Cool. Um, the other term that I would like you to uh, define for our listeners, just in case they don't know, is kinesiology. Uh, kinesiology is the study of movement. So most of the time people get into it to do physiotherapy um, or some sort of physical education, um, maybe physical activity, working in a training center. But my program I did was quite unique. It was focusing on disabilities and access to um, not only access to activity, but access to just life activities. So access to getting groceries, access to um, getting around with transportation. Um, I was really interested in this because my brother has a physical disability mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was an acquired physical disability, and we were a big skiing family. And so after my brother had his um, injury, he broke his back. But we were able to get him onto sit skiing. And that really led me into this whole path of working with people with disabilities. So I focus primarily on physical. Um, and during my program, I got really interested in developmental disabilities. So aut- or children with autism, uh, children with ADHD, that sort of thing. And that's kind of what the work I had done for quite a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. <clears throat> so, uh, so what's your focus now? What's your passion now with your, how, where have you taken your practice? How long have you had a private practice, by the way? I'm going into my fourth year of private practice. So um, it's been, wait, was it 33? Oh, now I forget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll pause that. I have to count the years. <laughs> Oh my goodness, why can't I count the years? Oh, that's okay. So around four years. But yeah, so it, I mean, it sounds like you've got a good, a, a good, Three bo- four years. you've got a good body of experience. And mm-hmm. um, has yes. your focus changed in in those three, four years? Or have you always known what you wanted your, your, your focus to be? When I was studying at Pacific Rim College, I uh, was 
I was surprised at how interested I was in reproductive pathology. It wasn't my initial thought. I initially thought I was going to work more with children with autism and um, provide herbal medicine um, for for that kind of population group. Um, but I found that the really the base, and when I started looking at research, a lot of the research that's coming out is a lot to do with the reproductive health of both the mama and the papa when they are um, a child. And I realized for me, my my inspiration is that kind of conception and, and really trying to create a healthy generation um, right from the start, right from the, the sperm and the egg. So I was really interested in um, reproductive health, I would say right from the beginning. I was always interested in midwifery um, and I thought to become maybe a doula at one point. So a lot of my research into herbs and the people I was helping at the college had some sort of reproductive pathology. And from there, I just expanded into my practice. So uh, I went back to school as, you know, definitely in my later uh, years. And when I graduated, I was ready to go out the door. And I knew that I wanted to do reproductive pathology. So I focused my practice um, directly on that. And most of, I would say 90% of my patients, maybe 95% of my patients um, are coming in for reproductive pathology, um, hormonal imbalances. So it sounds like from what you said, do you see both men and women then? You're working with both the sperm and the egg? (laughs) (laughs) Ideally in a fertility setting, I really would like to work with both the um, the male and the female, so both both partners um, that are trying to conceive. That was definitely my preference. I do find, though, that herbal medicine um, in my practice tends to be mostly female-dominated. I think it's just they're more interested in um in not even just i don't do just fertility i also do um just any kind of hormonal pathology i do a lot of post pill um so people that are coming off the birth control pill kind of helping to regulate the liver help to regulate the hormones a lot of times people are put onto the pill uh because of they have a hormonal pathology and unfortunately the medical community don't they have not they don't really have any solutions they will just put people onto the birth control pill. And usually when those women are coming off the pill, that's uh, when those pathologies will come and rise up again. And so I do a lot of regulation. You know, we didn't talk before this interview about what we were going to focus on. However, um, I just recently talked to someone who had to get off the pill. And she's having problems. And maybe this would be a good focus for some of our conversation is what, from your perspective, how you help people. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So typically when someone's coming off the birth control pill, I don't like to put um, be too pushy with hormonal-based herbs. So in herbal medicine, there's lots of different avenues in which we can um you know, treat a condition, which is why I was really drawn to herbal medicine. It's not just treating uh, the branch, it's really treating the root treatment, um, uh, the root problem um, that's causing these different things to come up. So some things that can happen post-pill is acne. So that's one of the big things that happen is post-pill acne can rise up. Um, There's also can be some weight gain or weight fluctuations that can happen. Um, oftentimes too, um, this is really common is that often women won't get their cycle back immediately. So I've worked with some people with, you know, they didn't get their cycle back normally for three months, six months, 
a year, three years. And I work with some people that haven't had a cycle since their pill for five years. Um, so really, wow, that long. Yeah, really trying to bring, I didn't realize that. Yeah. For some people, it just, you know, and usually behind that, there is a, a hormonal condition. So they might have PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, they might have something they may just be not ovulating for other reasons. So I really work initially when I'm coming, when someone's coming off the pill, I really focus on liver. So the liver is where we process all of our hormones. And our hormones are like chemical messengers between different parts of our body. So we have hormones that come from the brain. We have thyroid hormones. We have adrenal hormones. And then we have our sex steroid hormones as well. And all of those hormones need to be uh, processed via the liver to be excreted into the bile and then eliminated out of the body. So I really work on liver to help normalize any kind of hormonal imbalance. Sometimes what happens with the pill is that those hormones that we're putting into our body, they can hide in different areas. They really like to hide in fat tissue. And so even though you've Hmm. discontinued the pill, you're still having an outside influence um, hormonally because it's hiding in your body. So really trying to work with weight, um, trying to move that hor- the hormones out of the body, um, and then getting your own endogenous hormones, so the hormones that we ourselves make, to start fluctuating properly. Because the hormones are really like the symphony. They rise up, and that rise up signals the next kind of phase to happen. And so if we don't get these fluctuations happening, they won't signal the body to do the next part. So we have different phases in our cycle that all are initiated because one phase happens before the second phase. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. I love this. This is great. So uh, so you're talking about hormones that um, uh, hide in fatty tissue. So are you saying then that um, that they're slowly being released into the into the body or the bloodstream or into the cells of the body uh, after a person has stopped taking the pill. Yes, absolutely. So birth control pill, the hormones that are into in that pill, it depends on which type and what kind of hormones, but they do tend to hide in fatty tissue and they will uh, seep out. So typically it's the tissue that is, it's the pear-shaped women. So the women that's got a little bit more on her hips and around the abdomen, that's where the, the hormones like to hide out a little bit more than Um, other areas in the body. So that is definitely something to consider. And there is other things too. Um, Gut health is actually really important for hormonal excretion as well. So if we don't have, uh, if we have too much of certain types of bad bacteria, even if the liver has done the full job of processing the hormone for elimination in the colon, that gut bacteria can take that inactive hormone and activate it back into the body. And when it activates it, it makes it into a stronger hormone. And this usually happens with estrogen. So estrogen will be coming out of the body. The gut bacteria takes it, makes it stronger, and that can have a lot of negative effects. So estrogen is one of those hormones that in excess can cause heavy cycles, clots, uh, breast tenderness. There's a few conditions that are associated with high estrogen, like endometriosis, fibroids. And so a lot of times we see excess estrogen in the cycle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
the gut microbiome mm-hmm. is uh, a subject that I've been uh, studying quite a bit in the last few months. And um, I'm really hoping to get someone who's an expert in that uh, on the podcast soon. Oh, that'd I think be wonderful. it's a really, really important topic. Uh, I was introduced to the gut microbiome by, uh, I listened to Dr. Perlmutter's, David Perlmutter's book, Brain Maker. And, um, that was, that was quite an eye opener. So yeah, it, this is, this is all interrelated. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So I wanted to ask you, uh, back to the liver. So, uh, when you're, uh, you said that was your focus, kind of your focus when people are coming off the pill. Um, are you cleansing, detoxing, rebuilding? What, uh, what approach do you take here? Well, there's a couple of different things that I look at with, um, when someone's coming off the pill. So I definitely address the liver. So the liver, I'm thinking about helping to detoxify. So helping to move hormones out of the system. Um, there's a few herbs that are very specific about helping to move, especially estrogen out of the system. Um, and then I'm looking at, um, kind of supporting the liver too, and just giving it, you know, if we've been putting in a pharmaceutical, because birth control pill is a pharmaceutical, we often don't consider it a pharmaceutical, but it is, we always just need a little bit extra liver support. So I'm just using some herbs like milk thistle, that's really going to give some liver protective, liver restorative action, and then herbs that are going to be more specific about moving estrogen out of the body. Um, Then also with some liver herbs, also kind of colon herbs, we're going to help to move the stool out of the system. Just to make sure that someone's having a healthy bowel movement, that they're excreting one to two times per day, because the longer the stool sits in the intestine and the colon, it's going, there's more of a chance it could get, those hormones could get put back into the system. So that's my main two focuses. When I'm looking at liver, I really think about um, how we're moving our excretions out of the body as well. So I'm really focusing on those two aspects. And in the nervous system, so oftentimes when someone's coming off the birth control pill, there's usually, you know, the birth control pill has lots of ups and downs with it and discontinuing a hormonal-based pill, which does affect our mind and our mood and our emotional um, stability, I really want to make sure the nervous system is very well taken care of, that they're that person is feeling calm, that they're having some relaxation, that they're not feeling up and down emotionally. Because what's really important to understand with hormones is that our our hormones that help us digest, so we have digestive hormones and our sex steroid hormones, the hormones that are used in our reproductive cycle, those two hormones are the least important compared to our stress hormone. So if we need to make a stress hormone because we're running from a tiger, aka we have a million emails to go through um, and we're in high stress, making reproductive hormones and making digestive hormones are just not important in our body. And so we're going to And it becomes low on the list, doesn't it? Exactly. So if we're running from a tiger, we're not digesting and we're not reproducing. And really our running from our tiger in our day and age is opening our emails and having you know, 50 plus emails to read and having kids, you know, that are, you know, need to be fed and taken to school and taken to soccer and a husband and, you know, getting to job and showing up without having baby spit on your shoulder and all those (laughs) things that, you know, and getting groceries and, and, you know, we just went through Christmas. So that's a stressful season. So a lot of times stress is a, 
a major component um, in reproductive issues. And that's really the, the those two areas of what I focus on. And then after that, if I don't see um, there still is a hormonal imbalance after addressing the liver, after addressing the nervous system, that's when I'm going to um, add in hormonal based herbs. So it might be herbs that are going to stimulate ovulation. There might be herbs that are going to um, work on the brain for helping with communication because that hormonal pathway, so in, in a woman's cycle, everything gets signaled by the brain. And if the brain doesn't have the signal from the, the ovaries, the, the next phase isn't going to start the, of the cycle. So if we think about mm-hmm. the woman's cycle as being a cycle, we need to have triggers to stimulate the next phase in the cycle. And so there's herbs that I'll use that are very specific at triggering the brain's response. Awesome. I get it. Um, you know, this is, I, I, I'm getting this sense that a lot of women are going to be very interested in what you're talking about here. And not all of them can come and see you. <laughs> uh, do you do any consultations over the phone or Skype? Yes, absolutely. So I do do Skype consultations. Um, and I do travel a little bit in the summer too. So I have, I'm actually planning on going to be in the Kootenays for a little bit um, in the summertime. So I'll be there doing some consultations, but absolutely online Skype consultations. I'm also hoping um, in the near future, which is probably looking like sometime in 2017, maybe 2018, I'm trying to get up an online um, format so that I have a workshop course that I offer that's called the Moon Goddess Workshop Series. That talks mm-hmm. about cycle tracking. That talks about the different phases of the cycle. Um, I'm hoping to have that on an online format. Um, that's going to talk a, a lot about how to track your cycle for fertility, tracking your cycle so that you can avoid pregnancy, herbs that you can help to normalize the cycle, and then I'll be offering consultations through that program. So that's my hope for uh, 2017 to get it up and running. So we'll see. Hopefully that's going to happen at one point. 2017 looks busy, oh. but... <laughs> I think it will happen. It has to. I think it's a great idea because you are taking such a holistic, complete approach in, in mm. my opinion. Um, when I first went to nursing school, midwifery was, I was already an herbalist myself. I wanted to be a midwife and, you know, things just, when I got out of nursing school, there were no openings in OBGYN to, you know, cause you have to go to the hospital, you know, start in the hospital and all that. And, uh, I ended up in psych and, <laughs> and, and, and many other areas, but, um, that was, that was really what I wanted to do was, uh, become a midwife. Okay. So what kind of overall for overall general reproductive health, mental, emotional health, um, what kinds of things might you recommend to, uh, we'll just stay with women here, uh, but I guess it could be men too, um, to women who are, are feeling stressed, Mm. what might be some, even if it's exercises, something that people can do now to start to make a change in their life? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So definitely herbs are a wonderful addition. So lots of um, health food stores have different types of herbs that you can access, whether in tea form or tincture form, which is an alcohol-based extraction. Um, Those are really, um, you know, great start. But again, not everyone has access to herbal medicine. One thing I do like, though, about herbal medicine is 
is that herbs all have this energetic component. So if you think about, you know, lemons and how they make you feel compared to like mint tea, how it makes you feel versus chamomile tea, all of them have a different energetic component. So some of the herbs, they actually help to move the stuck energy. Other herbs are going to help to um, bring groundedness to a person. So if someone's feeling a little bit ungrounded, maybe they've been traveling for a bit or shifting careers or shifting um, maybe places where they're living. Uh, we have herbs that are going to help with kind of bringing that grounded center feeling. Uh, there's herbs that are going to mm. be calming to the mind, calming to the body. So, you know, herbs have this energetic component. And I would say they work quite deeply on that mental emotional level, especially in drop dosing. So I would say that's a, that's a definitely an area for that emotional component. But I also recommend to my patients um, in between taking their herbs to do different activities. So obviously exercise is going to be really important. But one thing I really recommend is doing a late night walk under the moon. Mm -hmm. So when the, when the moon comes out and so it's just getting more connected with the moon phases, especially for women who are trying to reconnect with their cycle. So maybe in the past they viewed their cycle in not a positive light. Maybe they had pain. Maybe they were having some cramps and clots and heavy bleeding. And for them, when they were bleeding, their moon time was always a really discouraging, um, very emotional, you know, sensitive with cramping um, time for them, and they didn't really view it as a positive experience. I'm really trying to go to change the way that we perceive our cycle, our, our bleeding cycle, um, to be a more of a positive experience. And part of that is that we live in a world where we have fluorescent lights, or we have some sort of lighting all the time that we can access for most of the of the at least western world we can turn on a light and we have access to lights and while that's amazing what isn't so amazing is that we're losing our connection to the sun um, the day and the moon the night schedule and we really are moved by the moon so you know in history we have this time when all the women would bleed and ovulate together based off of the moon cycle and just like the moon affects the waters in the ocean the moon does affect uh, the water's within us, so our blood within ourselves. And so I really try to connect uh, my patients to the moon cycles, paying attention to them a bit more, so going out for a walk. And part of my 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 goal with that walk is that there's no um, intention, that they're going out and they're walking slowly. It's not about doing three laps around the block. It's not about timing themselves and getting their heart rate up. This is really just about a walk where they're out and they're looking up at the moon and they're pondering and they're they're kind of doing like a nighttime routine. So uh, a and way I would describe this, what you're saying, is that it's not about doing, it's about being. Yeah, absolutely, it's about being. And one good thing would be just also if they find if a uh, if you're if someone's doing this and they find because they've got so much going on in their life that their minds you know they're having trouble still in their mind, just focus on your breathing. Absolutely. Yeah. Another one too that I like is um, working within the earth. So, so part of my work in consultations is about empowering my patients to start growing their own herbs. So I'll try to, when it's in season, I'll bring seeds or little plant starts for my patients. So they themselves are starting to connect with the plant energies in their house or in their backyard. But really, if I can get them into the yard and growing or going out for a hike and harvesting, um, that's uh, such a connection for myself. And I find for my, my patients as well that if they can get back into the rhythms of nature, they themselves are going to come back into rhythm. 
Yes, and you can always um, recommend to people to come and help out in my herb, vegetable, fruit, organic gardens, because <laughs> I have way too much work. <laughs> so I'm always that. open to help. Oh, great. <laughs> Although I have three um, gardens, so I might have to take some patients to help in my garden too. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm second in line. <laughs> okay, so what about... Uh, I'm thinking, okay, where, where am I taking this? I'm, I'd like to see if you could come up with some specific uh, recommendations, herbal-wise or whatever. How about for someone who, it just seems like everybody's overworked and overwhelmed and, you know, just feeling not grounded. Mm. What would you, what would you recommend? Easy things that they could get either um, as teas or, you know, tinctures or what herbs mm-hmm. would you recommend? I really love my grounding tea formula. So it can be a tincture as well. Um, it, it has just three herbs. It's one of my favorites. It kind of almost has a bit of an Earl Grey taste. So mm, it, mm-hmm. I find that one's nice for people that are used to kind of like a black tea, that kind of bitterness. So um, so it's wood betony and vervain. They're both really great grounding herbs. Uh, they're also going to be an antidepressant. We obviously right now don't have a lot of sunshine especially on the west coast where it's raining a lot and lots of overcast so i find that that's a really nice herb um the vervain to have as an antidepressant but they're nice and bitter they're good for digestion and they also just help to pull someone into their body and then i add a little bit of rose that kind of bit of that floralness that you kind of get with earl grey as well so that bitter with the floral so for people who are really into earl grey or kind of a black tea I find that's an easy transition into getting them into that tea. But really, any kind of Nervine herb at this time, lemon balm is a really lovely one um, for this season as well. Um, lemon balm, it has this nice uplifting lemony flavor. We call it a thymoleptic, which means it improves the mood, which is a great word, thymoleptic. I love mood. it. <laughs> Um, and really any of our nervine herbs. So even dietary, you can be doing things, um, you know, oats have a lot of B vitamins, so that's really good for the nervous system as well. I find that protein is really great for blood sugar crashes, um, blood sugar, especially when people are drinking a lot of coffee and they have a lot of sugar in their coffee and they run around, uh, protein is really going to help, um, stabilize the blood sugar, which once the blood sugar goes up and down, that can cause hormonal pathologies. Um, and it also just causes a lot of emotional up and down as well. Yes, I agree. I I only use stevia in my mm. coffee. Um, I use dark chocolate stevia in my coffee. I used to use vanilla, and then I found, I think it's Now Foods has this dark chocolate. And I've had people try it who don't even like stevia, and they're like, oh, my God, this tastes so good. So I keep a bottle of it in my purse because you just never know when you might need a little dark chocolate stevia. And it just, <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, it's like a dessert to me, but you know, stevia is healthy. You're not getting any calories. Uh, you're not getting any any of the negative side effects of sugar. And I know a lot of people find stevia to be they just it's it's not palatable for them. But I think most people either use too much because there's a very fine line with stevia of too much mm-hmm. and it gets really bitter. Sometimes you just have to develop a taste for it. So I usually tell people just to try a little bit um, and gradually work up. But I use it in all my cooking and everything. I love stevia. Mm, nice. Okay, so we've got some great herbs. Now, uh, your grounding tea. If maybe somebody doesn't feel comfortable putting those herbs together themselves, 
somebody wants to order something like your grounding tea from you, can you mail that out to them? Yeah, absolutely. Right now, I mostly mail out to my patients, but I'm uh, I'm open. I have I don't have a an online store yet, but that's something that I'm looking at into the future as well. I've been very busy with just my my practice and teaching at the college. That keeps me busy for five days plus a week. Um, I'm looking at getting my my practice a little bit more automated with my website and having packages and programs, workshops available, um, and having my herbal medicine accessible as well. So that's my goal, again, for 2017 is to get things a little bit more accessible because not everyone lives in Victoria and has three herb stores (laughs) and a college (laughs) and four practices. Right. Yeah. No, that's very true. You are a fount of information. I actually didn't realize how how much expertise you you have in this area, and um, I'm really hoping that you will come back and we can we'll pick another topic and delve deep into it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I would love to. That would be fun. So uh, on the website uh, realjanine.com, there will be links to to you and um, how people can get a hold of you into your your bio and all of that. I'm really really grateful for you taking oh. the time to <laughs> We this is actually what our fourth try to, <laughs> to have an interview. <laughs> My pleasure. I really I love coming on and um, I'm very passionate about education, so that's a big part of what um, I want to provide uh, to my community and to the online community as well. So I'm, I'm really excited to do more podcasts and share more of my knowledge um, with, with therealgenie.com. Awesome. So thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Take care, Krista. My pleasure. Take care. human beings, our genetics, our genetics is at the core, our DNA, and then that is manifested or out-projected in various ways through our upbringing. There's the environment, our parents, our various experiences, and then our, our brain is developing and hormones are up and down, and once all of that settles down, we're really on our own and guided by our choices. And that guides the unfolding of our lives. 
So it seems to me that the core of who we are is set by our genetics and by our early experiences. What we do with that is, of course, not set. It's kind of like clay. The molecular structure of the clay is set, but we can sculpt many, many things from it, depending on what we choose to do with the clay. We may build a pot and then tear it down. We may decide to do something less energetic, perhaps create a piece that's flat, a plate or a tray. There are many options. However, the core is the clay itself, and it doesn't change. What we do with it changes. What we choose to do with it changes. Over the course of our lives, we make many decisions, some useful, some not so useful. At different points, we may strive to be the best we can be and do the best we can. At other times, something may happen. We may give up, maybe for a while, maybe for good. But the core is still there. For example, if you have more than one child, look at your children. You can easily see how they're different, how they unfold their personality and characteristics uniquely. They can be encouraged to be the best they are able with the gifts they have come into this life with. Or they can be possibly beaten down, criticized, perhaps even abused. All of this will shape who they become. It won't dictate it, but it will shape the future as they make their choices of how to be in the world. So that can vary. One can be evolving or devolving or static or anywhere along the continuum. And that can change over time. But the core the authentic self of who a person is remains steady and I don't think it really changes. Go to Facebook Real Janine and leave comments if you feel I'm on target or maybe I'm totally off the wall. But this is Janine's Two Cents and it's meant to make you think it's meant to create controversy. So I hope I've managed to do that. Be well. Take care. Hey, Brandon. It's time for our check-in. How you doing? How are you? Um, to be honest, I'm really, really cold. I hate this really cold weather. <laughs> yep, I'm I'm wearing my long johns today. Um, <laughs> Me too. Definitely, I got the full one piece red ones. You know? Oh wow! I don't yeah. have anything like that, but I'm I'm oh, they- I'm. It's bringing a picture to mind. I'm not sure if I like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's not. It's not. I. Um, you know, I'm not running out to an outhouse with a pair of cowboy boots on or anything. So it's, uh, it, yeah, no, it's it's an adventure here out in the woods, right? And, um, uh, you know, it's freezing cold. We have, you know, minus whatever well, <laughs> degrees it, out there. Yeah, this morning it was five degrees Fahrenheit when I got up, and um, that's the coldest it's been. And this is really, for me, this is the coldest winter since I've been here. And I think, I may, be, I may not be correct, but I'm pretty sure this is the coldest winter these, these couple of weeks here that I've ever lived in. 
Uh, not for me. <laughs> I've lived with um, minus 40 below, which... Uh, and that's is centigrade, right? Or Celsius. Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Um, I think it's about the same at minus 30, if I'm right. I think so. I think that's what Stephen oh. told me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at minus 40, I have no idea what's going on with Fahrenheit and Celsius. It's just cold. Um, and luckily around here, the winters aren't that bad. Like you're saying, it's five degrees Fahrenheit, which is, uh, you know, about as cold as it'll ever get. And normally our cold snap is is done by now usually we have a a week of cold and now we've this is our second cold snap and it doesn't seem like it's ending anytime soon um i oh god i hate to hear that because i i looked and i thought it was supposed to start getting warmer tomorrow but we'll see well it was going to be warm today and it's not i know i know whoa tear you can imagine the tears coming down my cheeks so i would imagine that you've been seeing a lot of people in your acupuncture practice that are cold oh yeah and it's it's actually a huge problem um you know when we think of uh body temperature it's uh, in in it plays a huge role in in health in the Western sort of allopathic model, um, you know, even in that model, it's it's considered a pretty big deal. Uh, um, you know, cold is has this association with death, and um, it's you know it's it's pretty dramatic. And life is really actually associated with uh, with fire, with a, like a spark of life. And um, in Chinese medicine, we you can see that the body as having different parts of the body having different centers of fire in it. Mm -hmm. So your, your heart is one of those places. So your heart fire, and then there's your stomach. So you have stomach fire, which is sort of like your, the heart fire is very much about your emotions and you, and sort of that very much like how teenagers exist. Very dramatic, right? Mm -hmm. emotional living from the chest and then stomach fire is about your digestion and your you know your capacity to take in uh food and and process it Mm -hmm. correctly and then you have your ming men fire which is between your kidneys which is the fire that's sort of passed down to you from your parents your grandparents uh from your ancestors and that fire is relates to your your willpower and your overall body temperature and your um, your uh, sexual energy as well. So there's these different kind of places where where fire exists. And when we're out there in the freezing cold, um, which I haven't been outside too much lately, but I was planning on going skating later today. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be it can be really hard to keep those parts of your body warm and depending on how what your constitution is like and how much energy already is in those areas of your body you can get different results uh, when you're exposed to the cold so uh, if you damage different parts of your of your fire you can get different types of symptoms that come up oh Um, okay and so that gets pretty interesting Mm because some people don't realize that they're uh you know that they're having stomach problems because they're eating ice cream all the time, you know, um, because it's, it could be the cold that they're consuming, uh, that causes their stomach problem. Uh, it, it could be sorbet too. It doesn't have to be dairy. Right. But, um, and then, um, when we have 
exposure to cold, sometimes it can also penetrate into different parts of our body. So um, there's this idea of there being like our external self is affected by by the wind and by the cold. So there's this idea of wind cold in Chinese medicine, which is not only um, the cold, but also anything that is carried on on the wind. So it could be germs, you know, uh, bacteria or viruses and things of that nature that are invisible. So they're kind mm-hmm. of carried on the wind. And, and so when the cold affects us, sometimes it leaves us exposed to the flu, which a lot of people have right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and also like there's that cold is actually also just contracts our muscles, contracts different tissues. So uh, we can get less blood flow to our peripheries. Uh, because of the exposure of, of the cold. So, you know, there's all sorts of different results that, that can happen from the cold. Um, I've had a lot of people coming in with deep joint aching and deep joint problems from old injuries. Mm-hmm. And so that is oftentimes a place where the cold will penetrate through the body into an old injury because there's a there's a weak spot there. And so the exposure to the cold will lead to an ankle problem or a uh, you know, problem with someone's knee or something of that nature without any obvious um, event or trauma that led to it. So someone can be just walking down the street or hanging out uh, at home or they're going out to get firewood and they're carrying it in and they didn't trip and fall. They didn't twist their ankle. They didn't do anything. And the next day, because of the exposure to the cold, they have this extreme pain. Ah, so, Okay. There's things like that that can happen. Mm-hmm. And what do you recommend people do to when this happens to them? When it's when it's cold out, it's important to stay warm. Obviously, <laughs> um, there. Uh, well, there's 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 different ways that can that cold from the from the outside world can really affect us. So sometimes it can it can just affect us in a very minor way. Mm-hmm. So there's different. Uh, layers to the body and if if the cold is attacking our immune system mm-hmm. then we end up having uh, muscle contraction in our our shoulders in our neck and that can um, it can cause different problems there I was wondering about uh, when when I had the chat with Janie Bothorpe about thyroid issues. And um, after the interview, I was uh, talking a little bit about how when the body temperature is low, uh, the enzymes, which catalyze all of our chemical reactions in the body, which, which results in our metabolism and um, how our body functions, uh, the enzymes actually contract and they can't mm-hmm. function and they can't function well. Um, it, would there be a correlation here to what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, there's um, in Chinese medicine, there's the microcosm and the macrocosm, and our whole body is an ecosystem. It's seen as a whole, a whole world that that exists within ourselves. And if that world is cold, it can lead so that that can lead to a whole uh, pr- progression of of cold on the inside of our body as well as the outside. Mm-hmm. So when we're in the cold weather that's outdoors, it's the whole world around us that is starting to influence and penetrate 
our body from the outside in. And if we, um, if we don't have a lot of fire internally to resist that, that, uh, that, that cold weather, just like a house that doesn't have heat, once that cold will penetrate deep within the house and your pipes freeze, for instance, just like what's been happening to a few of my neighbors around here, um, it takes a long time to get that warmth back. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is this, this resistance to cold, which is really important. And when it's only influencing our, our external selves, what often happens is it just affects our immune system and leaves us susceptible. Mm-hmm. So there's energy, there's different types of energy in the body called qi in Chinese medicine. And the wei qi is the most surface le- level energy. And it's kind of our immune system. It's kind of also our pores, our kind of the layer just beneath the skin and on the skin, this this ability to resist and influence from the outside. And so it includes your immune system. Mm-hmm. And so if that becomes weakened, then people will get the cold or, or flu. And that's not necessarily influencing our enzymes deep within our body. But if that cold really penetrates deeper or the fire isn't strong enough internally, that definitely influences the enzyme activity. Mm-hmm. So what often happens is that Cold can penetrate through our body um, in a way that's not obvious all the time. And I think that's pretty interesting to talk about, too. Mm-hmm. When um, when you expose your, your sore knee to the cold, the rest of your body might not be cold. But your knee, that cold will influence the old injury in your knee or something of that nature. The other way, oftentimes, that's that's still kind of external, though. That's not our internal organs. That's not in our the core of, of our body. But if, say, you um, you sit on a very cold slab of concrete, mm-hmm. um, sometimes sometimes that will really influence our internal body. It can lead to if you are constantly sitting on a cold surface, it can lead to different problems um, with your digestion in the large intestine it can really influence lead towards really loose stools um and it can also lead to problems with menstruation it can actually create very painful menses and um and influence the cycle in a very dramatic way as well wow the idea of wind entering the body um like this cold entering the body so mm-hmm. that resu- you know th- that can come from just sitting on cold concrete even in the even in the summer when you're in the in the shade or in a nice cool area and you're you're sitting on a, a cold rock by a, in a, in a stream or something that can lead to those types of problems. Wow, I have a feeling that some people are uh connecting the dots here for themselves. That's great. Yeah. The, I mean, the other way is through how we eat as well. And then when, when you talk about enzymes, I, mean, I think that's the main main area that that where it's most dramatic or most obvious in our body when it comes to seeing the results of cold influence on our our enzymes Mm -hmm. which like i brought up the example before if you eat a lot of ice cream or something or it can be sorbet it doesn't have to be the dairy aspect that your body's reacting to it can be just the cold Mm -hmm. a good example in north america is that a lot of people love ice water and that's not something that's been around in human evolution that long. 
ice water is, you know, having ice is, it's a fairly new phenomenon that we all have ice in our refrigerator or freezer that we can access and, and put in our drinks. You know, historically, we didn't have ice water when it was really hot out. And so it's actually uh, a, a problem when it comes to enzyme activity. And if you drink a lot of ice water, this, the fire, like I was talking about in your stomach, becomes very weak and deficient. And the same thing, and if you put a lot of raw food on top of that, um, there's a lot of people that love raw foods. But the problem is that if that stomach fire is weak and worn down, or if it's very cold outside, the body becomes really taxed to process those foods that you're consuming that are raw, because a lot of raw foods are just, you know, they're uncooked. Mm -hmm. And what cooking does is it really breaks down cell walls and actually uh, cooking things very lightly will actually wake up some of the enzymes trapped inside of those foods that begin that process of digestion or breaking down cell walls, allowing our our enzymes from our mouth all the way through our digestive system to actually begin to break things down. So, so cold can be seen in different ways because if you're eating raw carrots all day, which might taste really yummy if they're good homegrown carrots. And, and, um, I mean, I, I love to do that, but I, I know enough to stop myself at a certain point because your body is actually cooking the carrots. It has to bring them up to the temperature of your internal body. And if you're constantly doing that with foods, what happens is that your your stomach fire, the heat inside of you, actually cools down because it's being taxed by all of the cold you're you're consuming, and, and that leads to less enzyme activity. Hmm. Well, I would imagine there are many like myself who, when it's cold out, just don't really feel like eating raw vegetables, salads as much. And I like I, I'm steaming vegetables a lot more to go with my meals rather than having raw. And it it's not something that I'm doing because I I know the information that you're telling me because I actually didn't. But it just it feels right. Yeah, and a lot of it is intuitive. And there are some people who have a lot of that internal fire, a lot of that heat, even too much of it sometimes. And for those people, consuming raw carrots, even in the wintertime, is fine. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get a lot of the, a lot of those people that are raw food people that just see it as this wonderful thing and they feel so much more energy and so much more drive. It's actually because they had too much fire and they've cooled down that fire to a place that's actually a lot better for them. Interesting. Um, but in, in others, in others who are have a bit more of a colder constitution, adding those cold foods will actually lead to being more tired, having looser stools, more phlegm pr- production in their body. Actual, actually, they'll notice that because they're not digesting food properly, they might actually gain weight as opposed to becoming kind of more more lean uh, and. Um, so it it's sometimes very obvious depending on on the constitution of the person. Mm-hmm. Wow, so, that is really valuable information. Thank you. The other thing is actually how to warm up that that stomach fire, and that's also something that comes very naturally to a lot of people this time of year. Um, and that is that a lot of people really love their Christmas cookies, and they're full of nutmeg and cinnamon. And um, they love to have 
you know, their um, hot chocolate with a bit of cayenne pepper in there to spice it up. These things that are actually very warming spices, even though the Christmas cookies might not be really helpful, <laughs> the, the, the body's still craving these spices that are warming. Like, mm-hmm. They're often found in um, chai tea is a really good example. Yes, I've been drinking a lot more chai tea than I normally do. Great. That's fantastic. I've actually been, I think I've actually been craving it and I, I, I never do, but it's so cold this winter that that's mm-hmm. what I've been drinking in the afternoon. Yeah. And if you're, you know, if you're consuming uh, chai lattes all day, it might not be really fantastic for you. But if you, you know, if you have um, those spices integrated into your cooking, there's actually a uh, Mennonite chicken soup that a friend of mine makes Ooh. that has, that's really good. And it's, you know, they, they cook the chicken right down to a good bone broth. They, all the meat comes off of it and they cook the carcass down even further. So you get a good hearty bone broth, which is a whole other thing that helps uh, with the body in the sort of in the wintertime. And then they add, I think, star anise, cinnamon, um, peppercorns, and there's probably one other spice, allspice or something like that to the chicken soup. And I always thought that sounded crazy adding cinnamon to chicken soup, but they're like real chunks of cinnamon or cinnamon sticks. And it actually, but it creates this real warming feel to it afterwards. That doesn't taste like cinnamon or star anise too much, but it's so hearty and you can really tell it really warms you from the inside out when you do things like that. And so that's really the best way is to really cook down those spices for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try that because I have a lot of bone broth that I made. Mm-hmm. And with, with chai tea even, it's really important to actually simmer the, the, the spices in chai tea for a good 20 minutes. Ooh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's how you really extract a lot of the properties of those spices, especially if you're using whole spices. So it's one thing if you have a little tea bag that says chai tea that will be warming and it'll feel nice. But if you really want to get the full effect of it, you can sometimes find a mix of, of spices that are a chai mix where there's real whole chunks of these spices in there. And to add that to a pot of water and, and uh, bring it up to a boil and then bring it down to a simmer and let it simmer for a good 20 minutes. That's where you get a real strength to the, the chai spices. Mm-hmm. And then you can add, if you want to have your black tea, you can add it at the end. So, ah, okay. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't know that. And I'm I'm a pretty good cook, so thank you very much. I'm I'm not claiming to be a good cook, but uh, <laughs> and when it when it comes to helping people warm up too, I, mm-hmm. I really think I, I I can't stress enough how important it is to use moxibustion that we talked about before. Right. Um, that's a really valuable tool. And there's other heat therapies, though, that are really great. So you, know, you can use your hot water bottle even. But, you know, getting a far infrared heat therapy of some kind is really wonderful, mm-hmm. whether it be a, a sauna um, or there's other uh, there's there's he- heat lamps and pads and different things that also introduce that far infrared heat to the body. And that, yes. that actually becomes really critical because that's a, that's the type of heat that can really penetrate the body to a deeper level to get right into the joints and right into the center of the body and heat you up in the core um, 
which those those chai spices do as well. So there's different ways of going about it. But yeah. mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. I love far infrared heat. It makes you feel so good. It's kind of like soaking in a hot bath for a half hour. How that how that really gets deep into the core. Hmm. Yeah, it's really good to especially protect uh, a couple of key areas of your body. Mm-hmm. So when you do stay warm and you're trying to bundle up, it's really important to keep the lower back warm. So mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Your, your hips all the way up to your where your rib cage begins, it's oftentimes for a forgotten area. And um, if you keep that warm, your core warmth will 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 be a lot higher than than if you had that area exposed. So make sure you wear a longer coat or nice warm uh, underclothes there. And then also the area between the base of your skull and um, your to your shoulder blades becomes a very key area to keep warm and protect your immune system in that mm-hmm. area as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Good information. Thank you. So is the with the lower back, is that, are you protecting the kidneys mostly or? Yeah, the the kidneys and what's called the Mingaman fire, which is the sort of the heat uh, in the lower portion of your body. Um, and that's really the the part of your body that that fire is used actually to to bring heat to all the other areas of the, of the body. So when that area becomes cold, even if the other areas of your body have heat, like the stomach fire, the heart fire, and so on, um, the those other areas will still become colder. Your your oftentimes it goes down to your hips, your knees, your hands and feet. So yeah, it really plays a huge part in overall body temperature. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thank you. I hope everybody uh, really tries some of these things to see if if it it helps them to stay warmer, if they feel better. Um, I I can't believe how many people are sick right now. That's why I, I'm kind of hibernating because I don't particularly want to go out and and uh, be exposed to all these germs that are around um so yeah thank you anything else you want to add i think that's it for now all righty well thank you and uh stay warm and enjoy the sun that's out and we'll talk soon sounds great okay thanks a lot bye bye now That brings us to the end of our show. I hope you found something of value that you can use in your life. Thanks for listening. The Keeping It Real with Janine podcast comes out every two weeks. Questions, comments, or podcast topic ideas? We'd love to hear from you. Email at realjanine at gmail.com or Twitter at realjanine. Remember to spell Janine correctly. J-A-N-E. Check out the show notes, extras, and bonus recipes at our blog, realjanine.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Be well.